I'm just going to concentrate on this side of the church since uh, everybody on this side got run off for some reason. Uh, I know we got some folks that are on the road that went out of, uh, went out of town for Thanksgiving, and we pray for them and their safe journey uh, back home. But God has called us here today, amen? So we cannot worry about who is not here. Uh, we need to just do what God has given us for those who are here. Uh, and that goes for you as well as me, amen? We can't, it's not about who's not here this morning. Now, listen, I know some hearts are hurting this morning. Uh, uh, we got some folks, uh, Brother Tony shipped out for um, his, his duty assignment, and so that is heartbreaking. But God still has something for us today, amen? So uh, let's just concentrate on him and allow him to, um, to speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, those of us, in the, even in the crowd, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll worry about those who aren't here, and we'll fixate on that. They're like, so-and-so should have been here. They, sh they needed to hear this. Well, they're not. So you listen. Amen. And if you think there's something worth delivering over to your neighbor that didn't come or your friend or whatever the case may be, then uh, you take it back to them and you tell them what they missed. Amen. Uh, but you need to open your hearts this morning, just like I need to have mine open. Uh, and we'll learn from God's word this morning. and We're going to concentrate on that. John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. You know the drill. And man, we'd like to stand and honor God with the reading of his word. We'll read his word, then we'll pray, then you can sit down. John 14, chapter 14, verse 6 and 7 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. By the way, this is Jesus' response to the question. When he says that you know the way, he's like, how, how are we to, to know? And this is Jesus' response. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've been able to be together as a family to worship. Uh, Lord, even to worship and even be lighthearted. Lord, just to, uh, Lord, sometimes it's just good to be together and, and even to laugh. And Lord, you, you give us that. You give us the freedom for that. And so, Lord, for that we are so very thankful. We ask you, Lord, now as we go into your word, Lord, that our hearts will be open. Father, we know uh, based upon your word that your word would not return void. So we know that we can trust if we're obedient today that you will take care of it from there. And all you require is our obedience. So, Father, I just pray that you help us this morning and give us the strength. Father, I pray that our hearts be open. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you or, Lord, maybe someone here who is struggling about knowing you. Father, I pray today that their heart is lifted up with your word and that they will see just how beautiful you are. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. This morning when we look at this scripture, it's, uh, we quote it all the time. I know you've heard me quote it endless times. But this scripture is so, it's so critical. And it's so important because J Jesus starts off in the 14th chapter, let not your hearts be troubled if you believe God be also in me, that in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then it goes on, it says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself to where I may be, that you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Then there's always this guy. Happened to be Thomas on this day, right? Makes me wonder, my nature sometimes, maybe that's why my mama named me Thomas. 
Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then the scripture we read is Jesus' response to that. I am the way and the truth and the life. And we want to look at that this morning. We're going to look at it because out of all the quotes, uh, all the things that Jesus said, this is one of the most controversial of that day. And a lot of people don't see that. We kind of take this verse for granted that we, that we know what it means. So this morning, we want to spend a few minutes, regardless of which clock we're looking at, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to unpack this scripture, specifically verse 6. And what did Jesus mean when he said that I am the way the truth, and the life. And, and, and what is that? And what does that mean to us today? Because I want to tell you something this morning that when you look at this scripture, either it's 100% correct or it's 100% wrong. There is no in-between. Because Jesus is making a claim here that is unlike any other that has ever been made. And let's look at the breakdown of this. Before I do, let me tell you, let me give you an analogy this morning just to kind of frame some of the things that we're going to be looking at. Dr. Budziski, Budziski Budzis, Dr. B, um, who was quoted by Dr. Stephen Myers on the True You uh, series, told a story, says, well, it's not a story, he just said, let me give you an analogy. Imagine that there is tuna salad at the cafeteria and you and your co-workers walk in the cafeteria and someone there says, do not eat the tuna salad. It has spoiled and it is making people deathly ill and it will kill you. Now, the first guy in in the crowd says, oh, that, that tuna salad being spoiled, it, it, that's for them. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to eat it and be absolutely fine because it's not going to, it's not going to make me deathly ill. It may make somebody else ill, but it's not going to make me ill. And so therefore, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to that rule because it doesn't apply to me, and I'm going to go ahead and eat the tuna salad. Now listen, not anybody here would do that. Well, I'll save a few. There's a couple of people sometimes makes me wonder a little bit. That catfish coolie guy, you ever seen him? He eats anything, that's crazy. But think about that, just, just let that kind of soak into your mind a minute. Because nobody in their right mind would say, okay, well, that tuna salad has made other people sick, it looks bad, it smells bad, and people who ate it got definitely sick, that tuna salad is bad. And that is a general rule that will apply to anybody who decides to eat it. Now, we wouldn't dare think of eating a tuna salad. We wouldn't think that, that rules like that were subjective, that it only applies to the person who thinks that it's true. The tuna salad is only bad for people who believe it's bad. But for those people who believe it's good, we can go ahead and eat it, and we're going to be absolutely fine. Doesn't make sense, does it? But why is it that we do that to the Scriptures? Why is that does the world today want to cherry-pick and choose what rules they want to apply or not apply, and everything now is subjective instead of being objective. Objective means without bias. Subjective means it's based on how you see it. 
You see, nobody would think that, well, that tuna salad is only bad for those who think it's okay to eat it. You know, it's only bad for those who think it's bad. But for those who think it's good, we can eat it and we're going to be fine. That absolutely makes no sense. But yet, that's what we see with today's version of the gospel. And so I want us to look today that, that either this is 100% correct or 100% wrong. Now, I happen to know it's 100% correct, but you've got to come to that in your brain too. Because if Jesus is 100% correct in this one statement that he's making here, then everything else he said is also 100% correct. And Jesus said some harsh things like, you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, love your enemies to do good to those who spitefully use you. Jesus said that we're to love one another. Not if we only are, ex- are easy to love, but we are to love one another. Jesus said that if we be ashamed of him, that he'll be ashamed of us before the Father. So following Christ is not something we can cherry pick and say, well, that really doesn't apply to me. That, that, that's, well, that's how you see it. No, I want to tell you right now, the Bible has very explicit meaning. Now, you may take some different applications, but the meaning, listen, we all can't be right. This is right. And if this statement by Jesus Christ is 100% correct, then we need to explore this from cover to cover and take every cue and every decision we have to make in our life from this and this alone, sola scriptura. I believe Martin Luther and those guys came up with the five solas. Sola scriptura means scripture only. Sola Christos, Jesus only. And so let's look and unpack this verse. Now, I want to systematically do this, and I'm not going to slow down. We're going to, we're going to get in it, and we're just going to run, and you're just going to have to keep up. All right. There was a study done many years ago. Sal and I was out in Las Vegas because that's where you get all theological uh, you know, things that come to you during Las Vegas. Um, said no one ever, by the way. By the way, you also, you also don't know that you know, the amount of churches uh, per square miles in Las Vegas is like greater than any other city. You may not know that either. Um, a lot of people live there. Anyway, we were out there, and we were there for a carrier meeting. Uh, I can't say that name anymore because I work for a competitor now. We were at a carrier meeting in 2004, and there was this crazy uh, motivational speaker there. This guy was hilarious, right? Uh, And he told him, he said, listen, you better buckle in, you better listen, because I ain't going to slow down. He said, because the, uh, the armed forces did a study on training. And they said the average person speaks somewhere around 150 to 160 words per minute. Now, they obviously did not check out Hispanics, right? Because Hispanics are like, you know, they go about 10,000 RPMs, and that's where they go. Uh, If you're trying to learn Spanish, don't listen to the Spanish channel, right? Because I I don't know what they say. I heard Gordo once. Somebody's fat. That's all I know. But they said the average person speaks around 150, 160 words a minute. But when elevating your speed of speech up to about 210 words per minute, then the learning from the group would be optimized because they have less time to daydream or drift off. A squirrel, right? Less time for that. And so we're going to go ahead and speed ahead this morning. The first thing we want to look at when Jesus' statement here is, is I am. He says, I am the way. 
But before we ever get to the way, I want you to realize there's something significant about the term I am. Notice the walls. The I am statements. When Jesus says I am, there's something very significant about that. And I'm not going to read the, the verse for, for time's sake, but you guys remember uh, when, when God told Moses uh, that he was to go back to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go? Y'all remember that? And then Moses asked the question, God, well, who shall I say sent me? And he said this, I am that I am. You know what that really means? It means I am self-existent and self-sufficient. I am God. There is no beginning and end to who I am. You, Moses, are a created being, but I am, I am. I have always existed and I always will exist. There is no higher power than me. I am. And Moses went back. And he goes to the Pharaoh and tells the Pharaoh, so listen, you got to let my people go. And God used some great things of wonder uh, when we look at the ten plagues that he, that he sent upon Egypt. Each one of those plagues was geared to a specific God that the Egyptians, because they were multi-theistic, uh, one of their gods that they had. And so those ten plagues just wasn't willy-nilly, right? There was, there was a, a reason God did each one of those. God always has a purpose in the things that he does. But he says that I am. And listen, there is not one individual on this earth who's ever been on this earth can claim to be I am. Why? Because we all exist because we were created and we are created beings not one of us just came out of nothing by the way that gets us to a point though what would evolution have you think evolution says that that we didn't have a, a creator that made us with a purpose that out of some primordial ooze they, they, they this is what richard dawkins would say we don't know exactly how it happened uh, we think life may have formed on the back of some crystals or something like that we don't know how it happened but he knows it's not god that he knows He says, are you sure? But, but, but how can you be sure? If you don't know how it started, and I'm trying to, Ben Stein was the one interviewing him. He says, well, if you don't know how it started, then it could have been God. No, no, we know that it was not God. That goes against all scientific principles of discovery, that everything is plausible until proven not plausible. But I want, you to think about the, I want you to think about today's culture and what we live in and how evolution theory is now being taught as fact. Because with evolution, there is no higher power and there is no one to answer. Why? Because I just came out of nothing, but nobody created me. And since nobody created me, I am. Think about it. There's only one I am, and his name is God. And Jesus is claiming here that I am God. He says, you've seen me, you what? Seen the Father. So Jesus' claim here is to be the almighty deity clothed in flesh. And by the way, the people that he's speaking to at this time, all Jews would know just how, just how huge this statement is. It's almost incomprehensible. It's almost hard to even fathom and wrap your, your head around this, that Jesus is standing before them and making the claim that he is the one, that he is God. I am the one that talked to Moses in the burning bush, and I am the one that sent him to Pharaoh. I am the one that has led the people out. I am one that also led them back into captivity because of, of how they, they acted toward me. I am the one. I exist because I am 
And now men would like to be able to claim that as well. Because if evolution were true, and then we came out of nothing, then nobody made me, therefore I am, and I am my own God, and I say what happens to me. And I answer to no one. That's at the heart of evolution, isn't it? Because if I can say that I am, I'm self-existent. That out of nothing I came. Not to march to anybody else's purpose, but to my own. That's what the world wants to believe. Why? Because if I am, then he's not. Amen? If I am, then he can't be I am. And so this claim is either 100% right or it's 100% false. And how you believe or how anyone else believes doesn't change the absolute truth. Jesus is claiming to be I am. Self-existent, eternal, self-sufficient God. By the way, self-sufficient is also important because in the day's version of the American gospel, it's almost as if God is up there pining for your heart and God is just going to fall to there, just fall down in tears and crying is never going to be the same if he doesn't have you. And that's not true at all. God loves you because he loves you. He does not need you. He desires you, but he does not need you. God is complete in himself. He does not need nary a one of us. It's funny, we were studying uh, Daniel on Wednesday nights. And uh, I got to do the lesson. Uh, Brother Kevin was so gracious to go out of town and let me teach a lesson. Uh, I think I ran half of his crew off, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, but the handwriting on the wall, mine, mine, tickle, I forget the other part, right? You see, God can come down right on his wall anytime he wants. God doesn't have to have us to spread the gospel. He chose us to spread the gospel. He's self-sufficient. He can write it in the sky if he likes. But he says, you know what, I can do that. And miracles may shake you for a few minutes. Jesus performed many miracles, but yet when he went to the cross, where was everybody at then? They had been in the crowd yelling, crucify him, when Jesus didn't do things the way they wanted and so those, those miracles, God's still performing miracles. We know that. We've seen them happen here. We've seen people who, uh, I think about Brother Alejandro, what the doctor said about him. There was this mass. It was very visible on the CT scan, but when they get up there to do the biopsy, it's gone. There's only a little bit of scar tissue where the mass used to be. God performed his surgery. I believe that. So we say, well, maybe it was never there. I said, then you would be hearing a lot more of that because CT scans will be wrong time after time after time after time, and that's not happening at all, folks. God does wondrous work, and he's still in the miracle business today. And we should look forward to those miracles and believe in them. Amen? Not for our will, but to his. So how I pray for healing someone, God, if I have my choice, I want this person healed just like that. But I know that healing will come either in this life or the next. But I know that you can still do miracles. And I'm just praying that your will will be done. That's how we ought to pray this morning. Jesus says that I am. Then he says, the way. I want you to think about this, the way. 
Now, in this context, see, the way can just refer to I am the way to the Father or I am the way to heaven. I am the way to this place that I'm building for you, this, this house that has many rooms or many mansions, whatever you want to call it. He could be mean just the, the way to that. But I believe that the way encompasses all of that and everything else in it. I am the way. And in that case, I, I, I put a capital W on, on, on my sermon t- uh, uh, title, The Way with a big W. Because I believe the way here is not only the way to the Father, but He is the way, amen, and that encompasses all of life and everything that is contained in it. He is the way. You want access to God? He's the way. There is no other, by the way. That's what He's saying. I am the way. You see, if there was any other way to God, if there's any other way to heaven, then Jesus' claim is what? False. If there's any other way you could do it, there are other religions that believe that Jesus existed. Some people call him a good prophet or a good teaching, uh, and they incorporate that into their beliefs, but they don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, God robed in flesh, completely 100% infallible. They do not believe that his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, they do not believe that that was done for and paid for our sins. They do not believe that he is the propitiation. In other words, that sacrifice that was made for us. And that us being covered by that enables us to stand righteous before God. There are a lot of other people who believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that. Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am that. Just believing in me and that I existed is not believing in me because I am the way. If there's any other way to heaven, then why would God come down in flesh? and allow himself to be tortured and sacrificed. If there was any other way, he's saying that I am the way. If there's any other way, then that statement is false, and that makes Jesus a fraud or a liar. But a lot of people believe that there's another way, because when we talk about Jesus Christ and what it means to follow him, as Jesus explained it in the Gospels, People say, well, I believe in Jesus, and I, you know, I, I, I don't really need the church. I got my own thing going, you know, and, and, and it's all good. Listen, I want to tell you that the people that believe that are absolutely blind as to who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is the I am, and if he is the way, then what his word says is how we ought to follow him. Amen. And you cannot go your way and think that you're going to be in his way and on your way to heaven. Amen. If Jesus is 100% correct, then we need to look at ourselves and how we're living and then look at the scriptures and what it says. By the way, just don't, just don't do the four gospels because everywhere from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about his coming. Amen. In the Old Testament, there are so many types to help us understand the Messiah, who he would be, why he would come, and when he would come. And then Jesus comes. Amen. And then the rest of the New Testament is about his second coming. It's all about him. He is the center of the gospel. And any other type of religion or any other version that takes Jesus away from being the center of the gospel is absolute false. Because he is the center of the story. Some people don't like that. Well, he's a... I've heard God, they say God is misogynistic in all these different type of things because it revolves around him. It's like, no, he's the creator of it all. You ever created something? 
ever made anything with your hands? Or maybe restored something? Or painted something? Or have something that was yours? And then someone tries to use it in a way that's inconsistent with what you wanted it to be and how it ought to be treated? Right? You know, you know what I mean? Like I had an uncle had a, a car he restored. And I was bouncing a basketball near his car when I was a kid. Lord have mercy, you'd have thought that I'd run up, clean up on the Ark of the Covenant there for a second. Good grief. Well, get away from there. You're going to hurt that. It was his creation. Of course, my dad is like, boy, cars are made to be driven. You're baby now. There ain't no baby. You can get you a pacifier and put it in the, in the grill the way you act with that thing. He's like, it may be to be driven, but it's going to be driven like a baby. But it was his car. You see, we are God's creation. And God gets to say. And it's his way. Jesus said, you want to get to the Father? I am. I am the way. By the way, this applies not only to our spiritual lives, but this applies to everything. You ever thought about the laws of science that show us just how fragile life is? I was watching a show one day, uh, some of them, if you ever want to go to sleep, watch one of the nature shows. Good grief. They show a flower blooming. They have to speed it up. You're like, oh, good. Whoa, grief. Right? You eat some turkey and put on one of the nature shows, you're bound to go to sleep. But I was watching one of those nature shows, and it was somewhere down in the Amazon. Down there where, where there may be some tribes and stuff like that, but really, for the most part, man hasn't really disturbed it at all. And they were talking about this specific ecosystem where this one type of fish lived. And they said if the water, you know, changed temperatures by so many degrees one way or the other that this, that this fish wouldn't survive. And the, and the plant life, the very specific plant life that was there, that was the source of food for this fish. And if that plant were to be gone, then that fish would die. It was all this stuff about this fish and this whole ecosystem and how delicate it was. It's his way. God made it like that. God knew what that fish needed to survive, and God made it just like that. All things work in a specific way because they're His way. You know, the earth, you take it and you tilt it a half a degree one way or the other, and suddenly life's inhabitable here. We'd burn up when the sun was shining, and we'd freeze to death when the sun was on the opposite side of the earth. And we wouldn't be able to sustain life here. And that's because that's God's way. God hung the earth exactly the right place. He gave us exactly the things that we need. And everything happens because of His way. And science, when science originally started, it was to what? Glorify God, to see how God made this beautiful, this beautiful earth that we live on. And it was about discovery, about the laws of nature that were instituted by God Himself. Because there are laws of nature. And they're His way. And science originally started to, to not to disprove God, but to instead glorify Him by opening up our understanding and our minds to be able to understand just how beautiful God has created us and how the laws of nature work so that we may better live within it and glorify God. 
You know, when I was younger, anybody ever played target practice with road signs? And kids, close your ears. You remember them bottles used to be rolling around on the floor? And you're like, what are we going to do with those? There's a sign. And one person would lean out the driver, I mean, the passenger side way out there, right? And see if you hit the sign. And then you go turn around, and then you swap drivers, then the other guy, anybody? Ever done? I knew you did. Hey, Kenny, he's a, he's a man. I did it. But you know, I, 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 never, I never thought really much about it at that age. But now that I'm older and I realize that God created this earth, I believe we ought to take care of it. And I look back and I thought how destructive I was to the beautiful things that God had made. It wasn't about the sign. It was about the busted glass and all that being on the side of the road and the trash. You ever see trash along the road and just make you mad? See, God put all these laws of science in place in this, his beautiful earth, and he made this. And when it's his way, I believe that applies to all areas of our life, that even how I treat this earth that I live on, I can bring glory to God when I take care of what God has entrusted to me. You see, that's what he told Adam. He entrusted the earth and all the things on it to his care. And you and I should care about those things. This is what Isaiah said about God. He says, as he's actually prophesying what God told him to write, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes from out of my mouth and shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. He's saying just the way, even the way the rain comes down and waters the earth. It's all his design. It's his way. So I think about Paul when he writes in Colossians that, to, that to, for us to do all things for God's glory. So the way to the Father and the way to heaven is his way, and there is no other. But also, all that is seen in this earth, all that we discover, does nothing more than to give us a more beautiful picture of his way, because all the laws of science and everything within it are all his design. I teach people this in class all the time, right? The laws of physics, when it applies to heat. You see, heat is, is a form of energy, and energy cannot be created. All we can do is change its forms. That's a law of science. Even the power that we make in our hydro systems and all that, the power, all we're doing is taking energy from a river, turning a turbine, that turns a rotor inside a, 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 a series of, of wires wrapped around a magnet and create electricity. We didn't really create it. We just transformed the energy from the flowing river into a more usable form. But this is another one I love. Heat, right? Heat moves from hot to cold and seeks equilibrium. And the speed at which heat moves is predicated on the difference of the two temperatures. Now, you've got to repeat that back next Sunday to get a, a star. Or a lollipop or something. Why is that important? Because I love teaching how heat moves. Because I think that as I 
the more I understand these properties and how they work, the more I get to understand just a little bit more about God because his ways are not my ways. And, and I think that God gives us the ability to just appear inside of his beautiful mind, just a smidgen. I mean, we will never comprehend the, the depth or the breadth of God. But the things that I do learn help me understand just how big he is. And to know that God would give us the understanding of things like the law of physics as it applies to heat so that I may be able to take heat out of your hot house and put it back outside where we want it to be and therefore removing that heat allows you to be comfortable inside, amen. I am working within the laws of God and his ways to make you comfortable for a living. That's what I get to do. And then I get to yell at idiots for not doing it right. It's amazing, they're his ways. They're not our ways. When we study ecosystems, we're amazed. When we study the heavens, we're amazed. When we look at space, we're amazed. We should all be amazed at God's handiwork because they're his ways. He's the I am. And he is the way it all works. Why is that important? Because the more I'm in harmony with his ways, the better my life will be. Because his ways lead us into paths that will be better for us. It doesn't mean our life will always be easy, but we will have peace. Jeff Foxworthy was speaking at an event. I was telling some people Wednesday night about it. Uh, and in this, he said, when you look at God's laws, the laws that he's given us, a lot of times we, we look at rules in a negative context, right? Thou shalt not, what else? You know, y'all remember the thou shalt not, right? He's like, we, we look at those rules as if there's some hard list of rules, as if God doesn't love us. But the simple fact is God gave us those rules because he does love us. Because if we follow them, life would be so much easier. He said, God told you not to steal, not because he doesn't like you and wants you to have nice things. But he tells you not to steal because he doesn't want things stolen from you either. By the way, if you steal and you get caught, what's life going to be like for you then? And there's no joy in it. Matter of fact, all there is is guilt associated with it. If you didn't get caught, there's the guilt that you have to deal with. And then every time a knock comes on the door, that's it. They're here to get me. God wasn't telling us we shouldn't do things because he doesn't love us. He was telling us these things so that we could live a peaceful life full of joy. It doesn't mean everything would be easy. But our life would be full of joy and have a lot less havoc in it if we were to follow him he says i am i am the way then he says i am the truth what is it what is the truth you ever thought about that what is truth the truth right that's why growing up i had, I had an f on there not a th you know what I mean? the truth what is the truth try to define truth once it's a lot bigger concept than you would think. Especially in today's world, because truth doesn't mean just simply truth. We have to add words before it, like objective truth. Objective truth means that it's an absolute truth with no bias. The rules exist for everyone. Gravity is a truth. Right? No one can defy gravity. Now, we can, we can go in outer space where there's no gravity, but if we're going to live here on the earth, then gravity is a part of our everyday lives. If you don't think gravity is an objective, absolute truth, then I want you to lift one foot up and balance yourself. Now I want you to lift the second one up. And if you can stay suspended, then you'll convince me. Otherwise, gravity is an absolute truth. 
But then we have things like relative truth. You ever heard of relative truth? It's truth as it relates to you, what you think. You ever thought about our moral code? Jesus is saying, I am the truth. You ever think about our moral code and how it exists? How do we come about that? I'll tell you the only plausible answer for our moral code that is built within us, the only plausible answer is God. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But this is what one writer said. In defining truth, it is first helpful to note what truth is not. Truth is not simply whatever works. In reality, lies can appear to work, but they're still lies. Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable. A group of people can get together, form a conspiracy based on a set of falsehoods where they all agree to tell the same false story, but that does not make their presentation true. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Unfortunately, bad news can be true. Truth is not what the majority says is true. 51% of a group can reach a wrong conclusion. Truth is not defined by what is intended. Good intentions can still be wrong. Truth is not how we know, but truth is what we know. Truth is not simply what is believed, because a lie believed is still a lie. Truth is not what is publicly proven, because the truth can be privately known. The Greek word for truth is aletheia, which literally means to unhide or hiding nothing. From a philosophical perspective, there are three simple ways to define truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is that which matches its object. Truth is simply telling it like it is. Now, truth is what matches its object, because we talk about objective truth. Objective truth is one that has no bias. In other words, that truth is a truth no matter who you are, no matter what color, creed, country, no matter what else. It don't matter if you've got four hands and three arms or two legs and one eye missing. It doesn't matter. Objective truth is true for all of us. But that's not what science teaches, by the way. Some will admit that absolute truth exists, but then claim that such a stance is only valid in the area of science and not in matters of faith and religion. In other words, truth, anything that is going to be considered objective truth or absolute truth has to be proven by science. This is what the writer says about that. Science cannot prove the disciplines of mathematics and logic because it presupposes them. What does that mean? We take the laws of mathematics and we use that in our experiments. Therefore, science cannot prove those disciplines because those disciplines are already existing and presupposed in all the other things that we do. Science cannot prove metaphysical truths such as minds. Science can't prove that a mind exists outside of your mind. I can't prove that you have a mind. I've driven behind some people that I thought had no mind at all. I was following Chris. Singing to himself, hitting the high notes. Scary. You know what I do when I get beside one of those guys? I get away from this joker. Science is unable to prove truth in areas of morals and ethics. You cannot use science to prove for existence that the Nazis were evil. Now, there's not one person here that doesn't believe that Nazis, we all believe that Nazis were evil. 
But science can't prove that. Yet it's an objective truth. It's without bias. No matter who you, no matter what side of the fence you're on. Obviously, the Jews of that day would say the Nazis were evil. But all the other countries went to war against them as well to try to snuff that out. Why? Because we all believed with the Jews that the Nazis were evil. We wouldn't call that subjective, would we? It's not that, well, Nazis are evil based on how you see it. No, I believe we'd all agree that the Nazis were evil. Science can't prove it. Science is incapable of stating truths about aesthetic positions, such as the beauty of a sunrise. I love in Tombstone when Wyatt Earp says, you ever seen the sun come up over the Rockies? I have. It is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Lastly, it says, when anyone makes a statement that science is the only source of objective truth, they have just made a philosophical claim, guess what, which cannot be tested by science. So the world we live in wants to say that science is the bee's knees, and that if it can't be scientifically proven, then it doesn't exist. And this morning we, we see just how absolutely off that is, and how untrue that statement is. Jesus is saying that, it says that I am the truth. All truth is, is made by him. Why? Because he's the way. He's the self-sufficient, self-made God. He's the I am. He is the way everything exists. All the laws of nature exist because they're his way and he created them. And he says that I am the truth. I am the absolute truth. And today people would say, well, if science can't prove it, then, then it must not be true. But we see here today that there are a lot of areas in which science cannot prove anything. Matter of fact, the, the real truth of the matter is, is that we must believe God. And we're going to have to trust Him. But we don't have to trust Him blindly. And I'll show you why in a minute. Why is it so important that we understand and embrace the concept of absolute truth in all areas of life? This is what one writer said, because life has consequences for being wrong. Ravi, Ravi Zachariah said this, the fact is truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. And nowhere is this more important than areas of faith and religion, because eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. Let that marinate for a minute. Truth is important. And an eternity is an awful long time to think about how wrong you were. But I want to go deeper. Evolutionists hold to the, the, the thing of natural selection. We and the animals have no real differences other than one is higher on the food chain than the other. When they look at it in terms of things like abortion, abortion is just a part of survival of the fittest. The fetus had no power to survive. That's not the argument they make. You know what the argument is they make, right? It's based on where you believe life begins. Now, an absolute objective truth is that life begins at conception. You see, you know why they do that? 
Because there are some absolute truths that are embedded within us that we cannot deny. You see, there are people that are called materialists. Materialists, relativists, evolutionists, they all kind of compile and have the same kind of theory of thought, is that we are nothing more than matter and energy. Some of us have a little more matter than you and others. But we're all just matter and energy, and it takes a little more energy to get my matter moving than it does to get you moving. You know what I'm saying? You don't realize how old and fat you are until you lay on the floor and try to get up. You ever ever done that? This is how bad it was yesterday. I was working on George's Jeep, and Dad says, Son, you want the creeper? Uh Uh-uh. You going to lay on that cold concrete? Uh Uh-huh. Boy, you a glutton for punishment? Uh Uh-uh. Well, why don't you use the creeper? Because me and the creeper equals me not being able to fit under the car. It happens. And I suddenly forgot where I was going with that. You ever just had to go right out the window? Matter and energy, that's where I was at. Thank you. Glad I'm not getting graded on this one today. Matter, we're all matter and energy. And that's what evolutionists will have you to think. People hold the materialist view, also hold that, is that we are nothing more than matter and energy. Here's the problem with that. They think that since we're just matter, matter and energy, then the fact is, is that the things you do were just genetically programmed in you. If you're a murderer, then, well, just part of your DNA. It's just how you were pre-wired as a part of genetic mutation. Whatever it is that you do that's wrong or right, and so they believe that there is absolutely no objective truth. The truth is just, just as it applies to, to the person. There are some people that hold that view so tightly that they say this. Since we are just matter and energy, it becomes cruel to prosecute us for crimes for which we had no control over because we were pre-wired and predisposed to act in that way. You see, the true evolutionists and materialists don't believe in free will. You see, free will gives us the responsibility for our decisions that we make. And you know, maybe 30 years ago, me saying that from a pulpit would alarm some people, but can you not see where society is moving today? Even people who claim to be evangelical, Jesus said, I am the truth. It's my way. And because of that, there are some absolute morals that are built within us. Romans chapter 1 says that. That the laws of God are written on the hearts of men. And that there are some absolute things that we believe in, and we're all wired that way. But the reason we don't act in a way that is in agreement with those moral code is because now we come to a thing called relative morality in which I believe that thou shalt not kill. But in my mind, there are some reasons that would make it okay. It's not that it's okay to kill, but in these instances, they deserve it. You see, if we all have this morality that's built in us, if I asked anybody, is it okay to rape and torture a child, your answer will be no. Where did we get that hardwiring from? You see, the materialist and the evolutionist says that there is no real absolute truth. There is no free will. 
and that you are just made this way. And, what, and listen, and whatever you identify with is predisposed genetically in you and you have no choice over the matter. Now we see that today in certain movements, usually tied to sexuality, and I'll just leave it at that. And so today it's sexuality, what is it going to be tomorrow? You see, each time that we bend a little bit, each time that the church gets weak a little bit, because we become emotionally attached to the individuals which with maybe, they may be battling with this in their minds. They may be battling in their mind what they identify as or, or how they are. They may be identifying with, with the desires that they have. I understand it. We're all depraved. There's not good, any good within us. The laws of God are written on our heart, but there is no good within us because if we all had our way, we would be the center of the world and everybody else would revolve around us. And so there are groups today that fight the same fight, that maybe have the same problems that they're wrestling with in their brain, and they get together and they say, well, if God is love, then, and I'm this way, and, and the evolutionist says that I'm just made this way anyway, so therefore, that, that if God is really a God of love, then he has to love me like this and accept who I am, because if he was a God, then he made me this way. If there's not a God, then I'm just uh, basically tied to my own thoughts and whims. And I have no choice in the matter at all. That's where we're headed today. Today it's sexual orientation. Tomorrow it's what else? You see, there's some that hold such a hard line on this that they believe that even things like murder and rape and all those other terrible things that we could think of or also come down to this that there's absolutely no free will and that nobody really has the choice to make. Jesus said that's not true. In the Bible, we see time and time again, choose you this day who you will serve. Paul said to choose while it is today. Today is the day of salvation. Relative truth, especially in the area of morality, starts with the moral code, but puts man at the center and allows his subjectivity to interpret and apply those morals based on how it affects each person individually. Now, I thought long and hard before I wrote that sentence. So think about it. What we know today is what's called relative morality. Why are you talking about morality? Because it's a part of truth. Right? The truth includes, very specifically, morality, ethics. And if we can't understand those basics of things like morality, then we could talk about those other deeper subjects, but we're not really going to get anywhere because we, we have to first come to the conclusion that these basic things that are surrounded by morality, even if we take the worship of God and place that aside a second, we look at the laws and much of the law are, are about dealing with person to person, things of morality. Thou shalt not steal. Right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. All these things that have to do with our relationships with each other, they are, they are absolute, absolute morals that are given to us by God. But the fact is, is that people who claim to this, to this science point of view say there's no such thing as, as absolute morality, that there's relative morality, which means it's based on how you see it and how it fits you. 
So I can say that killing is wrong, except for in cases where you don't do what I ask you to do. And a lot of times we now we see pleas entered in court cases where people have gone in to, to steal and to rob and then get confronted by the homeowner. And now homeowners who were in their own home protecting themselves against the intruder are now being brought up on charges for defending their family. And on the flip side of that, these people who kill during things like home invasions and all, guess what they say? All right, you got me on the home invasion, but my intent was not to kill. And so they startled me and I reacted. And guess what? The world is falling for it day after day. Jesus said that he is the truth. You see, there's some other truths in the scriptures. See, if Jesus is the I am, if he is the way, and if he is the truth, then we have to ask ourselves, how am I doing when I weigh myself against his truth? You see, because if Jesus is either 100% right or 100% wrong, and if he's 100% right, then I can no longer talk about truth in a relative sense as I see it. I cannot look at my morals and ethics and, and look at it as I see it. It's not about how I see it or how I feel about it. But that's what we want to do in life, isn't it? It's based on what we want. You see, that tuna fish, I wanted tuna fish so bad. And I just, and the only thing I could think of is tuna fish. So I didn't want to believe it's bad. And if I don't believe it's bad, then it ain't bad. So I'm going to eat the tuna fish and you're going to die, sucker. You know what I'm saying? People are going to reap eternal death because they wanted to see the world through their own eyes instead of the lens of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, because he said he's the truth. You see, Jesus said things like this, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. But Pastor Huff, you don't understand. My wife don't cook so good. She can't clean a house worth a nickel. Calls me names when people ain't looking. That's just Sal. That's my prayer today. Lord, you know that woman you gave me. By the way, it didn't work for Adam, did it? That didn't work out too well for Adam. Why'd you eat the, why'd you eat the fruit of that tree? That woman you gave me. That didn't work out so good. But you'd be surprised how many times as a pastor that I've talked to people. And when you break out the Word of God and what the Word of God says, Sal and I, I remember one time us specifically was sitting with a couple. And they're not here, by the way. Don't even go here. We'll sit with a couple, and when you start delivering the Word of God to them, yeah, well, I understand, but you, you, that makes sense for people who, but you don't understand my situation. No, I believe Jesus does understand your situation. He still says, I am the truth. Morality is not how you see it. But you see, when we become the center of our lives, we start looking at these things of moral code that are even written in the scriptures, but we start looking at our situation. And when we become the center of our lives, it's no longer what God wants, but we can't dispel the fact that there's a moral code, can we? You see, that's something that science cannot measure and they cannot come up with an understanding. But when you look at all the possibilities and you look at all the different worldviews, 
The only way that morals can be within us, no matter which side of the world we are built on or conceived on, no matter where we reside, no matter what we're with, I can go to an Amazon tribe deep down in Amazon that's never had any touches with modern society, and guess what? You go down there, and they'll believe that stealing and killing is wrong too. You see, the only plausible answer for the moral code that is contained within us is God's existence. Science does not have any answer for how we can be made thousands of miles away, years and years apart, and still believe the same moral code. God is the only plausible answer. We were made with a purpose, and those laws were written on the hearts of his creation. By the way, those people that hold to a materialistic world of view, they not only hold that we are matter and energy, but also that there are varying degrees of values attached to people. You know, our Constitution says we have certain unalienable rights and all that. By the way, that's Judeo-Christian values right there. People say that we were established as a Christian nation. We can talk about that later. A lot of the people who framed the Constitution were not Christians, but they knew that the moral code contained within the Bible would sustain society. And so Judeo-Christian values are written in our Constitution. But the people who are living in this world today that, that hold to a value that there is no God, we are just matter and energy, guess what? They believe that our intrinsic value has varying degrees based on what we bring to society. You know what that means? A crying little baby brings nothing to society, and therefore it has less value. An old person who's passed their prime to work, sometimes I feel like I'm already there, right? Huh? <laughs> Hold yours, Miss Linda. Well, no, I'll, you know what? I'll use Miss Linda because I know she loves me and she'll let me do this. God looks at Miss Linda and sees the beautiful woman that she is, that he made, and he loves her absolutely the same as he loves me or anybody else. But you know what the materialist view is? They won't come out right and say it, but when you look at their theories, right, our values are varied based on what we can bring to the table to society. So if Linda can't work, then she has less value than me. You see, Dr. Kevorkian was just a little bit ahead of his time. But you watch and see if euthanizing doesn't become a part of our plan to deal with the aging population. Because that's the scientific view. You know what's interesting about the evolutionist view and the materialism view? You know what's interesting about all that? Is that they don't live according to their beliefs. <clears throat> what do I mean? If evolutionists are correct... And if the materialists, which spin off of the evolutionists, are all tied together, if they're all correct, and there is no God, and we're just programmed based on our, our genetic makeup, and it's survival of the fittest, then why do we have cancer research? Why do we even try to save people? Doesn't make sense, does it? Why do we have cancer walks to cure cancer, raise money for its 
research? Why do we have AIDS research? Why do we have all these different scientific things going on if the people that are heads of these departments don't believe in God and don't believe that, 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 that these people who have these problems doesn't have the same value? You know why? Because somewhere along the line it became personal to them. And because they are the center of their world, my mother died of Crest Syndrome. I'd like to snuff that out. Why? Because Crest Syndrome took a person that I love dearly. And so guess what? If they were having a crest walk today, and even if they had pink shirts, I'd wear one. And I'd walk in that walk. Why? Because it's near and dear to my heart. You see what happens? You see, they say that these values diminish based on what you bring to society, but they don't live like it. So the, the world can't even live according to its own worldview. Why? Because God has put something within us and written the laws upon our heart where we know that there are certain moral uh, responsibilities that we have that they cannot deny. And the only plausible answer is God. Jesus said, I'm the truth. And so it's not about how I feel about it. You see, we get that way sometimes. Someone who maybe is struggling in the area and we know that person real well and we love them. We want, so, we want so badly for them not to be wrong. Don't we? We want so bad, so bad for these people not to be wrong. Why? Because we love them, and we don't want to see them die and go to eternal hell where there is, the, the fire is not quenched and the worm doesn't die. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The thought of my loved one going there just horrifies me and brings me nightmares. And so I want to believe that truth is somewhat relative because, well, God, if you only understood, no, I want you to know that God absolutely does understand, but his truths are his truths. And if whoever it is who's struggling will come to terms with Jesus being the way, the truth. Then suddenly Philippians 4.13 will make better sense to us, right? Because if I will bow down and call him Lord and surrender who I am to him and be honest with him that I'm struggling in these areas, the Bible says he is just and he is faithful to forgive us and that I can do all things. I can live a life separate from that previous lifestyle, separate from that sin, if I live in Christ, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I had a lot more to go on truth, but we'll go on. Lastly is this. He says, I am the life. Let me just share a few scriptures with you and we'll get ready to close. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness and joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 8, 34-35, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, so whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 6-11 says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be a wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But the glory and honor and peace for every, everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. You know what God's saying there? For all those who seek his eternal reward, he will reward them. But that means that it becomes his way. That means truth becomes his truth, 
not relative truth, not relative morality. What does that mean? I no longer get to decide who I'm going to love. I must love all of you. I no, no longer get to decide what is the right way because the right way has already been established in his word. It's already, it's already, it's already there. I like what one writer said, to quit, the existence of God provides the only coherent explanation of the necessary conditions of there being an objective morality and to life. He says, if you seek me in my ways, his truths, that in him shall be eternal life. So we must embrace his way, we must believe his truth, and we must live the life that he's purposed for us and persevere until we get our full reward of eternal life. So Jesus, if Jesus is correct, if Jesus' statement is true, then what's our response? Why did you choose this day to do this, Huff? Well, we're coming upon the Christmas season. Some people love it more than others. I'm not a fan. Everybody already knows that. Because I think sometimes we forget how big our God is. Because Jesus made this statement, I am. He is self-existent God, self-sufficient God, all-powerful, all-knowledgeable God. He says, I'm the way. And everything about the way, everything about life itself is my way. I made it all. I hung the stars. I hung the planets. I made life sustainable. All those ecosystems that you just go on and on about how delicate they are, I made them all, and I knew exactly precisely what water temperature needed to be the whole nine yards. And if you want to see what I've been building for my people, that I am the way. If he's 100% right, then his truth has to be our truth. You know, it's great. I was made fun of husbands, you know, love your wives like Christ, love the church, and that's okay if you have a wife that loves you back, but when you, when you live with someone who's mean to you, she's not, by the way. My wife is the only one that when we get home last night, after having a big old Thanksgiving, we celebrated Thanksgiving yesterday, having a big old Thanksgiving dinner, and, you know, come home last night, and she says, you hungry? I didn't eat that much. You have to know me. If you know me very well, you know that I eat weird. And she knew that I didn't eat a whole lot. And, and uh, I know that's surprising to see with this, but trust me, it's true. And she's like, you hungry? A little bit. What do you want? I can warm up some turkey. Eh. Warm you up some ham. Eh. Brought some of the other stuff you like. Eh. You want me to make you some eggs? I look like Dino from Flintstones. Okay. Tongue hanging out. My wife is the only one that can fix a Thanksgiving dinner and then come home and fix me eggs. That's just the love she has for me. So 
I use her as an illustration just so I don't make anyone think I'm talking about anyone else. But then there's the flip side of that. You see, I remember when we were going through a rough time and I was being very ungodly and Sal went and sought wise counsel and wise counsel told her that she had to live out Ephesians 5 regardless of whether her husband was an Ephesians 5 husband. Right? Wives, submit yourselves to the husband. She's like, well, my husband's not, he's not honorable right now. He's not living the, he's not doing right. Doesn't matter. God's truth is his truth. You need to follow his truth. You need to love him. Because, in, you know, Peter wrote, wives, love your husband and live with him in an understanding way that he may be won by your conduct. You see, my mother was a praying Christian and my dad was an abusive alcoholic. And my mother kept living before him, kept loving the Lord, kept going to church even when it cost her dearly. And guess what? My father is a Christian today. He loves the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul. And he's on his way to heaven and he'll look forward one day when he gets to be in heaven with her and everyone else. You see, God's truths work. When we start to try to apply our little bit of knowledge, our finite knowledge to what we see and these truths that we know to be true, but when we start applying our little bit of knowledge and we make ourselves the center of the story, suddenly the truth becomes relative based on how we feel about it. And God says this, listen, it's not how you feel about it, it's what I wrote. And so what's our answer for that? What's our response? This statement is one of the most important statements in all of Scripture. Because if this statement is true, and I believe it is, but if it's, 100, it's either 100% true or it's not, and if it's 100% true, then I have to look at how I'm living, and I've got to look at these Scriptures, and I've got to make a decision. Is He going to be my way? Is His truth going to be my truth? Because I want His life to be my life. I want to live eternally with Him. So I go back to the tuna salad. Tuna salad's bad. It's spoiled. Tuna salad's going to hurt you if you eat it. It's not whether you think it's bad or not. It's the fact that it's bad. And going the way of the world is bad. And it brings certain death. Self-centeredness is holding us back from fulfilling what God has for us. We cannot afford to live within a relative truth context and think that we're walking in his light. The truth cannot be as it applies to you. The truth has to be as God has written it in the discussion. We cannot be too busy to serve God to enter his house regularly. Why? Because his truth tells us that we are to be faithful in this. We cannot give God leftovers and expect him to be pleased with our worship. We can't come dragging ourselves in and having given ourselves to all the other things that we wanted to do and then come in here with no energy left whatsoever and just come in here and expect all of a sudden to be energized when we are putting forth no effort in our worship. 
We can't give him our leftovers during the week either. Every day we must spend time with him. Every day when we spend Listen, if Jesus is 100% right, and I think he is, then what's it contained in this book ought to be of the utmost importance to us. This ought to be sacred and valued. Why? Because his truths are always right. There are objective truths, and he wrote them. We cannot ignore Christ's call for being all in and think that he's going to cover us. You can't just dip your toe in the water and swish it around a little bit and think you're swimming for Jesus. He said it's all in. You can follow all of his, his moral rules if you want. Because there was a rich young ruler that did just that. Remember that story? Rich young ruler come up to Jesus, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to be with you? He says, well, follow all the commandments. I have done all that since I was a child. I'm following all the commandments. So he must have been a good person. He was doing all the commandments. But Jesus, knowing his heart, said this. All right, then go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. And guess what? The rich, ruler, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. If you don't think Jesus is an all-in Jesus, then you are mistaken. The problem is, you may not know it until you're standing before him. He's an all-in Jesus. By the way, the last thing is this. We cannot say that we love God and have grudges against each other and say that we're walking in the light. It's God's truth. Absolute. It says that we must forgive each other. Would you stand?